Well, if the rest of you would turn in a copy of God's Word to uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We continue our series on the response, the responses of uh, the people to the arrival of Christ. And we've looked at the angels, we've looked at the shepherds, now we look at the wise men. Before we read God's Word, if you're using the P-Bible, by the way, that can be found on 1497, 1497, Matthew chapter 2. Before we read the Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for sending us your Son, Jesus, to reveal uh, you to us, that we might know you in a saving manner. We thank you for giving us your Word, that we can learn more about you, and learn about how we might be saved. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless us now as we look at your word from Matthew chapter 2. Grant us your spirit, O Lord, and may he move in power. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, after Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, I had the blessing of being a part of a, a great group of very godly individuals called a fraternity. I don't know if you've heard of those in college. And uh, we had a good time, but we were a bunch of, you know, mostly godly men too. And uh, we were pretty serious about our studies. And one of the rooms that actually got used in our fraternity house, you may not believe me, was our study. And uh, it was here that we, we, we kept all our trophies and the few books that someone had read several decades before. And we gathered once in a while to actually do a little studying. Now, it was, it was my favorite room in the whole fraternity house. Not because of the trophies, not because of the books, not even the really nice long table with the cushy chairs that were not all that helpful when you were studying. No, what I really liked about it was the wallpaper. See, they had taken the original blueprints of the fraternity house. And they'd use wallpaper paste or glue or whatever you use. And they had glued the, the, the blueprints onto the wall. Now, from what I understand now, most of the blueprints are white, which is really boring. I don't know why they're called blueprints anymore. But, but these were the true blueprints. And so the, the whole room was this deep royal blue with the fraternity house blueprints all around. 
It was really cool, but you know, the thing is that blueprints, um, as fun as they are, they're not the real thing. They direct us to something. They show us how to build something, but they're not the real thing. We were sitting in the real thing and looking at the blueprints, which pointed to the real thing. Now, do, kids, any of y'all have Legos? Yeah, man, I love some Legos. Now, now Legos come with something to show you how to, to put it together, don't they? The directions, that's right. And so they're the blocks, they're the real thing, and then you have the, the, the plans to show you how to do the real thing. Well, in our text this morning, I think that there's a chance we might have the real thing, but we can't entirely say for sure. See, see the magi, the wise men may have been converted, but we just really don't know. But whether or not they were truly converted, we do have a blueprint. We have a set of plans. We have directions. We have constituent parts, a part list of, uh, of parts that are needed for a conversion of, of real sinners like you and me. See, it's time to stop pretending that, that we, are, we really are real sinners. And we are really in a real need for a real Savior. And He really did come. And when He came, it set everyone astir. And we'll see that, that Christ came to save real sinners like you and me. And part of that conversion, part of that coming to Jesus, involves a troubling of the Spirit, a stirring of the Spirit as well as a a submission to the king. Before we go much further with this text, there are a couple things we probably need to to settle before we go much further about the wise men. As we mentioned in the children's sermon, they they weren't kings. Uh, When we sing We Three Kings, immediately after the the sermon, we should all chuckle a little bit to the first few words. And the rest is great. Uh, there, There weren't just three and they weren't kings. They were called magi. There was a figure in the Old Testament who was one of these magi. And it was David, uh, Daniel. Excuse me. Daniel was one of these magi. See, a magi, a wise man, was a counselor to a king. He wasn't the king himself. He was a counselor to the king. And so these were nobility. These were wealthy nobility who would have been counselors to their kings. Perhaps one king, perhaps several kings. We don't know much about these wise men. But they had come. These were, these were kind of like uh, the cabinet for the president or a counselor for a prime minister. These were important people, but they were not kings themselves. But you know, we don't really know how many there were. We can say that... Uh, oh my. We can say that there were at least more than three. Now, where does three come from? Well, three comes because there were three gifts, and so we assume that there are three wise men. But the text never tells us that. We know that there must be more than three people because with gifts like gold, which is exceedingly heavy, and frankincense and myrrh, you would need soldiers to protect these great gifts. You would need pack mules to carry the tents. You would need someone to help carry the food and take care of the animals. This was most likely a very large group of people. And so our mental uh, thought pattern, uh, uh, our mental picture of these three individuals arriving on three camels is not perhaps a very accurate one. This was something much greater going on. So there were more than three. They were not kings. And do you know they don't belong in the nativity scene? Now we have two nativity scenes at our house. And they're in both of them. And they look great. One was made by my grandmother and it's gorgeous. And we're never taking those, those three kings out of there. 
Uh, and then the other one is, is uh, Thomas's little Fisher-Price nativity scene. And, and they're there as well. But you know, they don't belong there. Because it was up to two years later. Because the star came when Jesus was born. And they were up to a thousand miles away. And so they had to search their scriptures, talk to each other, figure out what they're going to do, get their game plan together. And then they had to travel a thousand or so miles from their home. This was a long time later, wasn't it? Why had they even come? They were what were called astrologers. And there's a difference between astronomy and, astro- and astrology. astrology. I think I said that correctly. Uh, one, which these men were, is not a biblical practice at all. It's to, to watch the stars and to watch uh, for um, signs and to look for fortunes. If you've ever read a horoscope, please don't. They're ungodly. Uh, this is what these men would have done. The other one, astronomy, are those who use, you know, the uh, look at the heavens to figure out their patterns and whatnot. But the Lord had used their art nonetheless to get their attention. And so they had read a great passage in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so they came, they came looking for this great king. They came looking for this great king. They might bow down before him, they might bring him gifts. You know, I think as we look at this passage, we, we see a lot of different people in this passage, don't we? We see these magi, these, God, these, these uh, not godly, these, uh, these rich um, people from a different land who had come and sought out uh, the, the king who had come. We see even their servants who would have helped out with the pack mules. And we see Herod, a very ungodly man indeed. And then the Jews in, in the town of Jerusalem who were also troubled at, at this coming. We see a lot of different people. But do you know one common denominator between all of them? It wasn't race, it wasn't background, it wasn't class, it wasn't uh, uh, resources. It was the fact that they all needed Jesus. They all needed Jesus. See, let's not pretend that we're not real sinners. These men and women were real sinners. We are real sinners in need of a real Savior. These magi, these, these wise men, they needed Jesus. See, they might have been wise in the eyes of the world, but if they didn't know Jesus, they were not wise in the ways of God. They might have had all the money in the world. They might have had all that their society said you have to have. They might have had every cool toy and Xbox and PlayStation and, and four-wheeler and hunting rifle and whatever it is. They might have had all of that, but do you know they still needed Jesus? Sometimes even good things become a bad thing when they become a ruling thing. It's part of our Sunday school curriculum we looked at this morning. Sometimes even a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing. And when we find comfort in the things that are not godly, we look to our possessions and our status and our class for salvation, my friends, we will find ourselves sorely disappointed at the day of judgment. The Magi needed Jesus. But, it, but so did the religious people in this text. The the scribes and the chief priests whom Herod calls together, they needed Jesus too. But if you notice in a second in this text, when the wise men take off to go find the Christ, nobody follows them. Nobody. Not Herod, not even the religious leaders of Jerusalem. No one follows the wise men. They're the only ones who go to find find the Christ, to search him out, to lay their gifts down before him. We've mentioned before that it doesn't matter if you're in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. And just being in a church doesn't make you a Christian either. The fact is we all need Jesus. 
And, and not just the obvious sinners, you know, the, the folks who obviously don't have their lives together. They need Jesus, but so do we. We're all in the same boat. There's one boat, but there's one Savior. And he has come. The star has risen out of Judah. He has come to save the lost. He's come to save you and me. Will we respond in conversion? Will we respond as God calls us to himself? You know, when God calls us to himself, there is a stirring of the heart. I don't know if you're like me, but I I like things to remain comfortable. I like things with no conflict. And I like a nice even keel. I like things to always be peaceful. But you know, when the Lord works in our hearts, he upsets the apple cart. He upsets everything. He changes everything. When we come to find out that we really aren't the king, when we assume that we are the, the master of our lives, and all of a sudden when we come to find out that there is another king and his name is not Parker, it changes everything and our, and our lives are turned upside down. Part and parcel of conversion It's a stirring, a troubling of the hearts. And and you certainly see this in the text. I don't think you see it in a saving way. But you see, when Jesus shows up, people are troubled. See, when Jesus showed up, um, the the wise men came. And when the wise men came, they came expecting to find a, a king who had been born. And so they go to the palace. Or not not the palace, excuse me, that's wrong. They go to Jerusalem. And perhaps entering on the edges of Jerusalem, they say, hey, where is this king? There's the gatekeeper. There's the, the peasant woman coming out to work in the fields of the day. Where's the king? So he's, he's you know, that's Herod. He's in the palace. No, 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 no. Where's the boy that has been born king of the Jews? They had no clue what he's talking about. Suddenly this large group of people had shown up in Jerusalem looking for a new king. Who do you think was very happy about this? Do you think Herod was very happy about this? Who was king of the Jews? He was. Herod was king of the Jews. And suddenly this, this great, um, great number of people who had come from a faraway place, who had traveled for months, their clothes are worn out, they are tired, their tents are worn, they're running out of food, but they had come for a very important reason to see this king. And, he, and Herod says, oh no. All those prophecies that I'd heard about this Christ, this Christus, apparently he's come. And so he gathers the chief priests and the scribes together and he says, where is the Christ to be born? They know exactly where the Christ to be born. He's to be born in Bethlehem. The text says that Herod was troubled and so were all the people. We know why Herod was troubled, but do you know why the people were troubled? Was it because they were cut to the core that they did not know about this king already? Was it, were they cut to the core because of their sins? No. They were cut to the core because Herod was troubled. See, Herod had killed three of his sons and even his wife. This man was a paranoid fanatic. He was a tyrant and a terror to his people. And when Herod was troubled, all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Part of conversion, part of coming to the Lord, an important part, a crucial part, it's being undone. You know, what bad news it is to man that he is not good. What bad news it is to man that he is not able to save himself, that his righteousness is not enough, that he can't do enough good things to make up for the bad. This is bad news. 
And it ought to unsettle us because this is where we put our trust. Then the Holy Spirit, he works in our hearts. He shows us our depravity. He shows us that we are evil. He shows us that no one is righteous. No one, not one. No one, uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God and continue to fall short of the glory of God. And he stirs our hearts and he must stir our hearts before he shows us the king. We must see our problem before we see the solution who is our savior, the savior who has come to die and to take away the sins of the world. There was a troubling that went on in Jerusalem, but my friends, I don't think it was a godly troubling. I don't think it led anyone to Jesus because no one followed the wise men trying to find this Christ. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 speaks of this. It speaks of a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. And a worldly sorrow, a worldly sorrow or worldly grief produces death. All a godly sorrow or grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Are your hearts troubled this morning? Did you know that you're not a good person? Does that trouble you? This word trouble is actually a very strong word. It's used elsewhere as an earthquake. Is your, has your life been shaken? Hebrews 4 verse 7 says, Today if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. Respond to the Lord and call upon Him. Because as bad as the bad news is, and it is exceedingly bad, hell's a real place. As exceedingly bad as the bad news really is, the good news is all the better. (laughs) See, it's what we're celebrating. It's the fact that a Savior has been born It's the fact that he came, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, he came to take away your sins. Has he taken away your sins? Or do you still stand in them? See, the bad news is bad, but the good news is amazing. See, while we can't make up for our our bad stuff, our sins, Christ has already done it for us. See, on the cross, he bore the weight of the sins of all of his people. But if we believe in him and confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, then we too will be numbered upon his, among his people. And then we can really say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come, um, uh, come thou long expected Jesus. We will desire for him to come again. So part and part of, con- of conversion is a troubling of the spirit. But it's also submission to the king. And we see this in verses 9 through 12 in our text. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Herod lied to him. It's called deceptive irony. So he said, go find him so that I can come worship him. But he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. We'll look at that next week. And he will try mighty hard to do so. So he sends the wise men out and apparently the supernatural star or supernova or comet or asteroid, whatever this was, everyone's always conjectured, but I figure the Lord can figure it out. Whatever it was, this heavenly body, the star that had stopped apparently over Jerusalem, now picked up its path and took him all the way to Bethlehem and stopped over the house in which the child was to be found. 
for, I, I would imagine that if they had asked the people of Bethlehem, where is this king, they would have been just as troubled and just as confused as the people in Jerusalem. And when they saw that it stopped over the house, according to verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Four words are used here to describe just how excited they were. And they went into the house and they saw Mary and Jesus. Joseph isn't mentioned here. What do they do? They immediately fall down and worship him. Now this word worship could really mean worship. We don't know. It very well might. This might be the conversion story of the Magi, but we seek to preach the Bible um, diligently and carefully. And so we must say also this word can mean to pay homage to the king. And so whether it's just paying homage to the king or bowing down and saving faith, saving conversion, they are bowing before their king. And when they do so, they bring great gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is the, always has been and always will be the gold of, the metal of kings. Frankincense was a gum, a very expensive gum, and myrrh was an incense, a perfume, a fragrance, a spice. And indeed, it was so expensive that a bottle of perfume made out of myrrh would have run about 10 grand in today's money. This was a, a mighty great present. They had brought what was precious to them in their land, and they had brought it and laid it before the king. They had prostrated themselves before the king. They had hailed him as king. You know, in conversion, after our hearts are troubled and we turn to the Lord, we must seek him and lay our lives down before him, for he is our king. But you know, when we come to Jesus, we bring both nothing and we bring everything. We bring nothing because there's nothing that saves us apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we contribute. We haven't done 20% and just need him to do the 80%. We had not even done 1% and need him to do 99%. We bring no good gifts. We bring nothing good. We bring no good works to the table. Christ has done everything for us. And if we try to bring everything, then we will not receive, if we try to bring anything, we will not receive salvation. Christ, when he calls a man, he calls him to come and to die, to come and lay down his life because Christ has already laid down his life and done it for us. He has saved us to the uttermost from the foundation of the world when he chose us. He has done it on the cross when he died for us and he does it when we are saved before him. We have nothing to bring to the table except our sin. Nothing. Not our good works, not our pedigree, not the, the grandfather who was a pastor, not the friend who's a Christian, not the spouse who, who goes to church every once in a while, not the good thing we did for the neighbor. We never told anybody. Those things may be well and good, but they don't save us for the Lord. We bring nothing to the table. But when we bring nothing, we also bring everything. For when we come to him, we lose our lives and we bring our, our, our mind, our body, and our souls and they all become his. They are his to begin with and now we finally submit to him. Have you submitted to this our Lord and Savior? Have you submitted to this Lord and Savior for he is our king? The king has come and it is not you and it is not me. It is Jesus Christ. And unlike any other king, he laid down his life for those who hated him, those who were his enemies, those who would like to see him harm. He died for people like you and me, real sinners. Has he troubled your heart? Has he stirred you? Don't run. Run to him. You can bring nothing that will save you, but bring everything, all you are, for it is his already. Well, these wise men were sent by God. We know they were, whether they truly converted or not, because God um, warns them in a dream not to return the same way because Herod was going to look to kill 
baby Jesus and, and probably would have killed them too if they had sought to deceive him. You know, we look forward to the coming of Jesus again. And it is here that we find that every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. And for those who love Jesus and have called upon his name, who have, who have known conversion, who have been born again, who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, it will be a joyous time of finally bowing our knee before the Lord and Savior we've always believed in. But for everyone else, it will be a sad day indeed. Therefore, Godly has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. So, Father, we do pray for the return, the quick return of our Savior, that this age might come to an end and our faith might be turned into sight. Oh Lord, if there are those here today who don't know you, Lord, that you would trouble their spirits anew, and they would um, not run, and not harden their hearts, but they would turn to you in faith, that today might be the day of salvation. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We will conclude our service with hymn 166, We Three Kings. Let's stand and sing.